0: Pathfinding Resources, I want to have a chat with you today about a few things. I noticed some things recently in Revelation 6, specifically with what is known as the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Now, I'm not trying to establish a new doctrine or reinvent the wheel, but I am trying to look with a set of fresh eyes and maybe point out some things you might not have noticed before. At least, I didn't notice them. A while back, I learned that sometimes we can recognize the spirit behind something if we can learn to recognize the behavior. It's really easy to get hung up on names and dates and other details. And by all means, they can be important. It's just that the enemy will often put a disguise on to try and throw you off. But in reality, the behavior is still the same. I remember after working several different career fields, it seemed like I was running into the same personalities over and over, even though they were different people. I developed a saying, the names and faces are different, but the players are all still the same. Revelation is a very visual book. There's vivid imagery in it. There are also probably more opinions and studies done on this book than any other in the New Testament because everyone wants to know how it all ends. This might surprise you, but that's not the purpose of this. To be sure, there might be some literal horsemen at the end of days, but the spirits behind these have been around for a while. King Solomon declared in Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun. And because we end up looking for all this to happen at an appointed time, We fail to recognize it both in the past as well as now. So while reading this, I noticed a common theme in all four horsemen, and that theme is control. Also, these horsemen don't work independently. They often go out riding together, but it's to achieve the same end, and that end is control. In addition, it can be hard to recognize because much of this happens incrementally, and the heat is turned up so slow we often don't recognize it. Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2 talks about the rider on the white horse. Some commentators refer to this rider as the Antichrist, and for good reason. His white horse imitates the white horse of Jesus Christ and the saints in Revelation 19, which we'll talk about later. So there's an element of counterfeit here. Other commentators say that this represents conquest. And again, this is very valid, and it doesn't negate the idea of it being the Antichrist. John refers to both a physical Antichrist, a man of sin, as well as a spirit of Antichrist. The writer goes about conquering and to conquer. Conquest means to bring into subjugation, or in other words, control. However, the method used by this writer is political in nature. Politics is a counterfeit of the kingdom of God, and it manifests itself as political pressure to conform. When I went to college in the early 90s, political correctness was making headway. Don't say this or use that term, or you're just a bad person. Then in the later 90s, this manifested by labeling things hate crimes, which carried stiffer penalties than normal. Now, neither hate nor crimes are good, but it opened a can of worms because people started to automatically assume certain motives behind people's actions, whether they were factual or not. Then it wasn't just restricted to people's actions. Now the words you use are often referred to as hate speech or actually labeled as violence against people, especially if you have nerve enough to tell the truth. So in the new woke society, you have people going, you have to agree with me and do exactly what I want you to do, or you're oppressing me. And if you don't comply, there's a threat of being canceled, which merits the question, who's oppressing who? Verses three and four talk about the rider on the red horse war, who takes peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. So we usually have no problem identifying this writer as war, and we all have an idea of what that looks like. However, the principle behind this is violence, and we can also see how violence on a smaller scale holds the same principle. I'm reading a book right now by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, and he reported that although the murder rate has stayed roughly the same over the last 30 or 40 years, the amount of attempted murder domestic violence, and active shooter incidents have significantly increased. He mentions exposure to media violence, as well as interactive experiences, such as first-person shooter games, as contributors. However, the murder rate has stayed roughly the same, but only due to advancements in medical technology. So what does this have to do with control? Well, if you can have an active shooter scenario, rather than address what goes on in someone's heart or head, to make them do violence unto their fellow man, we usually simply just try and take away the tools and implements they used from people who haven't used them in that way. Full-scale war can have similar consequences. For those old enough to remember 9-11, it was quickly followed by the Patriot Act and then later on the Patriot Act II, which really infringed on our right to privacy and opened up a door for digital surveillance. Now, how many rights are given up because there is an emergency? We ended up fighting in wars in two countries. We lost a lot of lives and a lot of good people. But there's a lot of people that made a lot of money off this, too. So are we more free or less free after 9-11? Are we under more surveillance than we were before then? How long does it take you to get through an airport compared to 2000? New laws are being proposed because of the January 6th incident which when the video was released didn't look like what they were saying it was. For those that know their history, this was very reminiscent of the Nazi party burning down the Reichstag in 1933 and blaming it on the Jews. Hitler was sworn in four weeks later. Pearl Harbor was bombed on December 7th, 1941, and we were immediately at war. How many rights were suspended? I remember my grandparents talking about rationing and how businesses were commandeered by the government So vehicles were hard to come by because the auto plants were turning out tanks and planes instead. 120,000 Japanese Americans were interred under Executive Order 9066. Brutal conditions. Then throwing the draft on top of all that, yeah, war can definitely be a means of trying to control the masses. Horseman number three is seen in verses five and six. He rides upon the black horse and is referred to as famine or scarcity. He has a pair of scales in his hand, and he's declaring a higher price for goods. In modern times, this is called inflation. This can have natural causes or also be caused by interrupting or cutting off the supply chain. Now, things like this can be unintentional in cases like natural disasters, but it can also be engineered. And if it is, rest assured someone is making a buck as well as a power grab. Now, here's a couple of questions. When mom-and-pop businesses are forced to close, what are your options? Who benefits? When big corporations in foreign countries start to buy up massive amounts of farmland and the family-owned farm is driven out of business, is this producing more or less options for the average citizen? When I was a kid in 1985, there was a song called We Are the World. It was produced by an organization called USA for Africa. In Ethiopia, there had been a severe drought, which has caused big-time famine. And that organization sent millions of dollars worth of food and grain to that country, and it rotted on the docks. That's engineered famine. More recently, the same thing happened in Haiti in 2008 after the earthquake. So here's another telltale sign that leads me to believe that the famine in Revelation is engineered. The price of basics like wheat and barley is raised and rationed out, But the oil and the wine, the luxury items, are left alone. So who does this affect more, the average Joe or the select few? Horseman number four is found in verses seven and eight. He rides a pale horse and is named Death, and hell follows him. It also says that the authority is given to these horsemen to kill with the sword, with the pestilence, and wild beast. People will do a lot of things to keep from dying. Yet as believers, death is not something we fear we know where we're headed. I'd also like to point out that one of the methods used by this horseman is pestilence. All you need to do is turn on the news to see how this is being used as a means of control. We see new rules being imposed for our own good. And again, this is incremental. Two weeks to slow the spread has turned into where we're at now. And rather than cite a bunch of numbers to get us fact-checked, I recommend that you go to the CDC website and look them up for yourselves. Take a look at the mortality rates. Look how many had pre-existing conditions, also known as comorbidities. Take a look to see if any other diseases mysteriously decreased in numbers. Make up your own mind rather than take anybody else's word for it, especially mine. But also ask yourself, were you freer two or three years ago than you are today? And if you read your history, you'll see that this isn't the first time that plagues have been used for power grabs. Just go look up the bubonic plague and the Spanish flu and see if there were any power grabs done during these times. Even in our own country, diseases were used against Native Americans during times of expansion. So, diseases have been historically used as a means for the few to exercise control over the masses. But again, don't forget that money factor. Rest assured, anytime governments start mandating you use a company's product, especially if there is a threat to your livelihood if you don't comply, Someone is not only making a buck, but also making moves on the chessboard to get you to use more of their product. Just ask yourself which politician or their family members own stock in what companies. You'll get your answers. So, those are the horsemen, but let's talk more about control. In Revelation 13, verses 11 through 18, this passage refers to the second beast, also known as the false prophet. He creates an image of the first beast the Antichrist, so that it speaks and comes alive. Then he compels people to get their own image of the beast. Then the next step is for people to receive a mark on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless they have it. So for those that are familiar with Jewish culture, this is a mockery of the Teflon, where the Jews kept items on their wrists and forearms for prayer, as well as scriptures on their forehead. The concept is this, though. Your right hand symbolizes your actions. The intent behind this mark is to control your works, your livelihood, and your productivity. The mark on the forehead is to control your thoughts rather than have them to be about the Lord. To reiterate, this happens incrementally. In Revelation 20, verse 4, what started out as not being able to buy or sell, you know, this kind of sounds a lot like getting fired from your job for noncompliance. Now, again, I'm not trying to identify anything as the mark of the beast. You got plenty of people out there doing that, and most of them are going to get it wrong. What I am trying to do is point out the behavior. If we understand the behavior, we can discern the spirit or motive behind certain things we see. This is just my opinion, but a lot of times we can end up straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. We say this isn't the marker. this isn't the real Antichrist, and that's true. But since it isn't the real Antichrist, or it isn't the real Mark, we end up tolerating things that are Antichrist behavior, which in all likelihoods brings us closer to the real Mark and the real Antichrist. These horses, again, often will ride together. Almost all of them ride, though, with the first one. So ask yourself when you see these things, are they being politicized? There's a dead giveaway. Is there severe mockery and threats of being canceled if you dare to question the prevailing narratives? Another giveaway is fear or being offended. Just ask yourself, is a narrative that is being pushed based in fear or hate? If the answer is yes, you can bet that the end game is for you to give up control. It's sad that there are a lot of people out there who would rather be offended than be free. Since these things can happen incrementally, We often don't recognize it until some significant damage is done and it seems like it's too late. It's not. You might even be wondering what you can do about it. And it's actually pretty simple. There's a word called no, learn to use it. You can refuse to comply. There might be consequences, but you can refuse. You don't have to make a big scene, but you also don't have to play these horsemen's game. But since these things happen incrementally, It is important that you give no place to the devil as soon as you recognize what's going on. Keep in mind, you can do all this with the joy of the Lord in your heart and love for your fellow man. You don't have to be afraid or offended. You can walk in liberty, and here's why. In Revelation 19, there is another who sits on a white horse, and his name is Faithful and True. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're talking about Jesus Christ himself. In verse 14, it also says that the armies of heaven are following him on white horses as well. That's us. The purpose is to make war and execute judgment on those that tried to subjugate and control the masses. When Jesus quotes Isaiah in Luke four eighteen, he says that he came to preach deliverance to the captives and to set at liberty them that are bruised. So the warfare we are engaging in is one of deliverance and freedom. To sum it up, The book of Revelation is not just identifying spiritual entities. It is also identifying behaviors and methods of those seeking to control us or the few who try and subjugate and control the masses. It also identifies the source of our liberty, Jesus Christ. It explains how we are to work with him by walking in the liberty we have in Christ Jesus and being led by the Holy Spirit and by helping others to do the same. Hope this makes you think and get into the word for yourself. This is C-Dub for Wofoyo Pathfinding Resources. Time to mount up. Thanks for listening. We sincerely hope that this broadcast helps you to grow in the Lord. For more information, check us out at www.wofoyo.org or subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Remember, if you're going to grow, you got a Wofoyo. Get in the word for yourself.